Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. Today is episode number 84, and it's actually the continuation of a conversation with Dr. Jeff Burns that we started last week. So if you have not listened to episode number 83, it's vital that you jump back, go listen to episode 83, and then you can come and catch back up with the conversation because we're jumping in right in the middle. Uh, Just a reminder, Dr. Jeff Burns is a physiologist and engineer with an experience and expertise in running. He works for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee as a sport physiologist, and he conducts academic research with the University of Michigan. His work is focused on running biomechanics and performance, and Jeff himself is a runner and competes internationally in ultramarathons. He is the 2016 USA National Champion in the 100K, and he finished fifth at the World Championships in the 100K in both 2016 and 2018. So here we go. We're going to jump back into our conversation, where now we're going to be transitioning to talking about all these different foam properties, where they came from, what questions we should actually be asking what we should actually be measuring, and what they do to our bodies. Should we go back to phones? Let's go back to phones. What, yeah. is, e- what is EVA? What is TPU? What is PBAX? Yeah. So that's so getting back to you know thinking about the shoes, the major constituent of our shoes is the foam in them. Um, and that's that drives... Our, I would say our dominant interaction with the shoe. Um, and yeah, for a long time, EVA, ethylene vinyl acetate, was the ubiquitous foam in shoes. And I believe, I think foamed rubbers, um, so so just about all foams that we have out there are um, what we would call thermoplastic elastomers, which means that they are these uh, molecules that are, Elastic behave kind of like springs that um, you compress them or stretch them and they store the energy and to a large degree um, return it when you kind of take that away. Um, And so I believe there were early foams um, through the certainly through the 60s was when they appeared Um, late 60s. We started to see them in running shoes and through the 70s. And I believe EVA came on the market in the 70s. And I think it was Brooks, actually, that was the first company to use it. Um, But then ever since then, you know, we're nearly 50, I think it was 75 or 76 that they first used it. So we're almost 50 years on and, and it was, you know, it was the ubiquitous foam. And so what that is, is ethylene vinyl acetate. It is ethylene and vinyl acetate. And those are two polymers. Um, so two chemicals and you essentially put them together, um, make a soup with them and then you foam them. You, you introduce air into that chemical soup and let it set and use what's called a blowing agent to get that out and expand it. And it turns it into a foam. Um, so otherwise it would be, you know, like a, a milky resin. Um, and so, yeah, so by introducing air, you essentially get this three dimensional spongy material and it's, it's in all sorts of things, you know, not just running shoes. Like you go look at like, I don't know, the swimming noodles that you you might have, or like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, shoot, probably any foam you could find around your house. There's a good chance. Padding on a backpack or something. Padding on a backpack. Yeah. Um, bike seat. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Well, and now we're saying, now I'm starting to get it. I don't know if those are EVA or not. Um, they're, they're definitely yeah. foamed elastomers, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, anyways, so EVA was this, this foam that, that, um, 
dominated running shoes for a while because because it's what we call a thermoplastic it means that it can be uh set under different temperatures and molded into different shapes and so it became this thing that was really favorable for the running shoe industry because basically it was light which is the thing that you absolutely need for running shoes it's like your ticket to entry is is it needs to have a low density but it broadly speaking was like pretty um it was soft you know you could you could tune those you know, and this is again gets to kind of the complexity of EVA. We we throw around the term EVA, but EVA itself is this enormous. There's enormous complexity in in what it can be. You can have very soft EVAs, very stiff EVAs. You can have um, ones that are slightly more resilient, return more energy than others um, by different you know different ways that you you can kind of play around that chemical soup of of those, and and also not just playing around with those soups, but also the, the blowing agents that you use um, can change the properties. So a lot of different ways to kind of manipulate it. But at the end of the day, um, it is a relatively crude chemical soup that can't overcome those limitations, you know, some of the limitations. So anyways, so we used it for many, many years because it was cheap, effective, um, and it kind of ticked all the boxes for a good running shoe. But, um, yeah, then, then I would say the first, the first, uh, way, well, the other thing to mention here is there was, uh, there have been different foams that are in different shoes. So like polyurethane, which polyurethane is, um, you know, you could think of it as not in a foam form is like a form of rubber. Um, but polyurethane had been used a, a lot in foams and different shoe constituents. Um, the reason it wasn't widely used was, was because it was so much denser than EVA. So it was heavier, but it actually had really favorable energy return properties. Um, and so, yeah, so anyways, so that one, that one had kind of came and gone on the scene, but was not really a player in any major running shoes that we have. And then right around, I think 2012 or 13, um, we got the first kind of shakeup in the running shoe world of Boost with Adidas, which is what's called TPU, thermoplastic polyurethane. So again, polyurethane. And that is, that is um, yeah, a rubber. And it is also, again, in this, this class, all, all these foams are, what, again, what we call thermoplastic elastomers. And thermoplastic just means that um, you can use heat to kind of change the change the properties, um, you know, at different stages in the process. Um, and anyway, so this thermoplastic, um, polyurethane was taking polyurethane, which previously had been this kind of like dense foam, heavy foam and Adidas working with BASF chemical company found a way to, to make what they call expanded thermoplastic polyurethane, which is they essentially made it into these little pellets. Um, and so they were able to make it much less dense and much lighter. And then because it's a thermoplastic, they could then take all these pellets and put them together and essentially melt them after the fact into a shape, um, for a running shoe. And this, this kind of shook, shook the business up a little bit because it's, um, yeah, it, it had this property that EVA didn't have. Um, it had higher, you know, quote unquote, energy return. And so the mechanical term we use for that is resilience. So it returned more energy. So for your audience, like 
EVA, EVA has a spectrum of, of, I would say properties. Um, and, but it's about, or, you know, it might be about 60 to 65% energy return. So every foot strike, when you, when you land on the ground, you compress the shoe foam and you essentially put energy into that foam. And then when you unload your body, the foam squishes back. Cause it really think of a shoe foam as acting like a spring. You compress it down, energy gets stored as potential energy, and then it compresses back. Some of that energy pushes back and compresses back, but some is lost to heat. And so in EVA, about 40, 35 to 40% is lost to heat. And then this expanded TPU, thermoplastic polyurethane, um, in boost, uh, was better. It, it was about 70, 70, even 75% of the percent measure. So, so you're essentially bumped that energy return back. So you lose a little bit less. It was a little bit more heavy still than EVA though. So, so there was, I believe there was a study early on that found that it improved running economy by about 1% in runners. Um, so that, you know, that slightly more advantageous energy return seemed to be a good thing. Um, and logically speaking, it should be, but again, that, the weight factor is is certainly certainly an issue, um, but the other thing that's interesting too is is it's a little bit stiffer than most EVAs, um, and so this is the other dominant term that we'll talk about is the stiffness or the compliance, the inverse. We talked about that in the past, but how much it compresses down. So a very stiff shoe under your foot strike will not compress very much. A very soft or compliant shoe will compress a lot under that same load, and so these these um, TPUs at the time were pretty pretty stiff. So they returned a lot of energy, but because they were stiff, you actually couldn't really store that much energy in them because they didn't compress that much. So it was a bit of a wash. It was like a bit of a sidestep. Um, but, and actually really funny, interesting backstory or backstory on TPU. Um, that, that, uh, um, that project with BASF, the chemical company, um, it actually started with Puma, I think in like 2009, Puma started working with BASF to develop this compound. And then BASF, I don't know the whole, I don't know how this, this, uh, relationship shook out, but I'm sure, I'm sure some of the shoe geeks in your audience know the contentious history between Puma and Adidas, but BASF essentially like sidestepped and ditched Puma and started working with Adidas on this, which is like, um, you know, uh, it's a, it's a, a little bit of a interesting, uh, relationship there. Um, so they started, started dating a different chick, <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, so then they developed this content con this, this thing that they had been working on with Puma. They kind of continued it with Adidas. And of course it became this behemoth that Adidas still the boost, you know, boost still drives all of their like athleisure stuff and uh, whatever. Um, but so Puma actually sued BASF over this and it was only settled. It was settled in like 2016. And cause they then like Puma tried to start the project up with an American chemical company and got it going. Um, and then I think they, there's, they might still be settling this lot, like figuring this lawsuit out. Cause I think as of the late 2000 teens, it still hadn't met its conclusion yet, but they were, I mean, they're, they're, essentially suing Adidas for like, this was, this was our thing that you, you know, you took and started. And, uh, so it was settled to a point in 2016 to allow Puma to use that tech, um, which that was interestingly, 
was right before Puma stopped making running shoes. And they had this line of TPU shoes that at the time Adidas might've been the only one. And it was called like, what was it called? Like N it was like N R G like was the name of the phone, but it was, it was like the only other TPU phone on the market at the time. But then Puma like, you know, shuttered, shuttered their running business, but have been, you know, they've come back in a big way since then. But so anyways, that's like, that's a lot of people don't know that, but it's just another awesome chapter in the like, bloodbath between puma and adidas for people that don't don't know look into the history between puma and adidas that bsf jumping ship like that is when you said like dating a new chick it's basically like hey you're dating a girl and then you decide to go date her sister and just switch so no wonder there's lost like her sister fighting. that she hates yeah that she absolutely <laughs> yeah. has hated for <laughs> how many years now like yeah i think are we approaching yeah. 100 years yeah it's a long time so anyway yeah so if you had to, if you had to, you know, we went through EVA, talked about TPU. I think the other ones that we hear a lot about now are super critical foams. That term is just thrown out there all the time. Yeah. And so what does that mean? And then we got to hit PBA, P-backs. Yeah, so. yeah. So we can, we can hit each of those in kind of a, a nice swoop here. So, yeah. So ever since, so then, you know, the, the next one that really shook up the market in this, so we can kind of finish the story or not finish, but like, and it was then the Vaporfly in 2016 and the, and the P-backs in it. And so this foam was, you know, like I said, we kind of have that, you know, TPU versus EVA. Um, you know, like I said, it was a bit of a sidestep. TPU, better energy return, a little bit stiffer, a little bit heavier. So it was kind of a wash for some. Maybe there's an argument to be made that it was slightly more beneficial and we just couldn't detect it. I don't know. Anyways. So then, of course, everybody knows in in twenty well in twenty seventeen it launched, but it started winning races in twenty sixteen. Um, yeah, the Vaporfly with Nike, and they used this um, they used this compound called uh, it was the trade name is Pbax, but the chemical name is Piba Polyether Block Amide, and so this is um, you know maybe a little little bit of a polymer chemistry lesson for your listeners but when you hear for me um, yeah um when you hear the term like polyurethane or polyamide um that actually refers to the link that is joining these uh molecules in in the in the shoe or in the shoe in the foam and in whatever it is um so you can think of a, a polymer is essentially just a repeating unit of a you know of a molecule so you can think of them as bricks or Lego blocks. And so, so I would actually say the way that you can think about this is like they are, so the, what we would call monomers, the single units of the molecule. Um, then you, of course, expand them out and they're a polymer. Um, and the, the name of that, the name of the polymer is usually a reference to the way that they're linked. So a polyamide is the amide are the links between each of these um, uh, monomers, but the actual chemical inside that is, is or the actual monomer and structure of it's a very usually a very complex carbon chain, um, or maybe not complex, but anyways, it's a carbon usually a carbon chain. Anyways, the um, yeah, so you can have all sorts. So there are lots of different types of polyamides um, and lots of different types of polyurethanes. <laughs> um, but the, but the, the 
amide is the thing that joins it. So if we want to use the Lego brick analogy, it's like the amide is the, the circles that connect the bricks. Um, so like polyurethane might be squares and polyamide might be the circles. Um, so it's essentially different ways to connect them. Um, and of course that then begs different actual chemicals themselves. But so anyways, getting back to PIBA. So is this, this, um, yeah, this polymer called polyether block amide, which means it's this, um, polyether and the amide are essentially joined together and then repeating units of that. And it can give very distinct properties. And this had been used for a long time as a plastic or like a, or what we would kind of colloquially term a plastic, like, um, like ski boots had PIVA as, you know, like, or, um, uh, actually a lot of running shoes had it as those plastic, like shanks on the bottom, Mizuno for any of your listeners, you know, the like Mizuno wave technology, um, those waves were like PVAC's, um, uh, rigid pieces. But so anyways, um, they, this French chemical company figured out a way to start foaming it. And it had one of the reasons why it was used, um, for so long in, uh, um, one of, one of the reasons why it was used so long in like these rigid plastics is because it has really favorable properties of like energy return, th- uh, temperature resistance, things like that. So anyways, this, this, um, this company and, and it wasn't just the company. It was actually, there's, this is a little bit even more complex, but there's a, I believe a, I don't even know how these all interact, but there's a company called Zote Foams, which actually works, I think with the um, the chemical company, Arkema is the one that makes PBACs, but Zote Foams, I think was the one that figured out how to manufacture this chemical into a foam, um, or at least they worked together on it. And this had been in the works for a very long time. Um, and kind of through actually different iterations before it even became the kind of Zumex foam that we know now. But so anyways, so they found a way to, to take this this new polymer and foam it. Um, and it ended up having these properties that were fantastic for running shoes. Um, that, you know, getting back to EVA, um, you know, it was, yeah. So, so it was, it had more energy return. So it was, whereas EVA was 60, 65%, that TPU and boost was, you know, 70, 75%. This stuff was like 85 plus percent. So it was nearing a perfect spring. It's crazy. Um, but then the other wild thing was it was so much softer, so it was less stiff, so it could squish down a lot. So those two dominant material properties that we think about with, with shoes and foams is the compliance or the stiffness. So how much it squishes down and then the resilience, the energy return, how much it squishes back. So those two things really are the kind of dominant things. And so it really, and this gets back to maybe one of the things we talked about the beginning, but the surfaces, our bodies really like soft surfaces, compliant surfaces. Um, so there's some cool studies on, uh, like a, a treadmill that this team at Harvard manipulated the compliance of the treadmill and the softer and softer they got it, the more and more efficient runners were. So their running economy was just getting better and better and better as they made it softer and softer and softer. And so this was, so our bodies kind of really like that. Um, and again, it gets back to the softer and softer a spring is, 
if it has the same amount of energy return, the more and more energy you can store in it. Um, so anyways, so this, this new foam was softer, so it was more compliant and more resilient. And then just to like really crush, it was also way less dense than EVA and certainly than TPU. So it was lighter. So, you know, I like to say it's like, it's like having your cake and eating it too. And then going back for seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it really, and, and of course the results, you know, then speak for themselves. Um, it's changed the sport as we know it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so anyway, so that was this, this kind of new polymer. And since then there's been this like, you know, growing awareness of, of different, different polymers and, and different, different things to use. And, and, and this is, this is, um, this is something that is tricky because, um, <laughs> these, these, these foams like, and maybe we can get, and I, I, we can, after finish this thought, we can maybe talk about how we test them. Cause this is something I've done in my lab quite a bit. Um, but these foams are not ubiquitous. So one EVA is not like the other EVA and one, even one TPU is not like the others, but also one PIBA is not necessarily like the others um, because they, they, these are like the broad classes, you know, of chemicals. Um, but the way that you turn them into foams, the way that you even kind of mix those ingredients all affect the properties. Um, and so just because one foam is one type doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be um, equal to the others. That being said, they also, there are levels that are jumped. So like a PIBA foam is probably going to be more favorable than an EVA foam. Um, from a running economy from, standpoint. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but like a TPU, you can have enormous spectrum of, of things that you can do with how you manufacture that into a foam. Moreover, we're now entering a place where like one of the steps in technology is actually blending EVA with some of these other polymers. Um, so you could have EVA that's blended with TPU, or we haven't even talked about lots of, <laughs> there are a lot of other, um, other elastomers out there. So this term thermoplastic elastomer, TPE, all of these foams fall under that class. Um, and and so I think actually a part of me is, is, is like wondering if like we're now entering a point almost where like you don't like at least from a performance standpoint, companies almost don't want to say we have an EVA shoe. That's almost like a that's almost like a uh, uh, like an embarrassing thing to, to say. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, it's EVA. Yeah, I'm not buying that. Um, I, I think I've seen a company but, like but I think say use it instead of saying EVA like, yeah, we have a TPE material. I'm like. Yes. So and yeah, so those I are all of them. That's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Is like, you're going to start to say like, oh, we have this TPE and it's like, well, what is it? Like, that's like, that's like saying, it's like, we have a, shoe. That's a huge like boom for me. Yeah. Or I was going to say, it's like, if you have something on a menu, it's like, we have this new meat. It's like, yeah. Okay. What kind? Is it chicken? Is it beef? Is it pork? And it's, then within yes. each of those, you have enormous like spectrum. So it's actually anyways, mystery meat, uh, actually. So it's great. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I was going to say that's actually one of the interesting things, though, is these companies that might say this is a TPE. It actually could be a blend. It could be a mystery foam, or it could be this. It could be something that has 
EVA with, you know, some sort of other elastomer blended in there and foamed. Um, yeah, so there are there are definitely different ways that that companies are doing this. And so I think the problem with that now is like you can't you can't necessarily judge the you don't know the mechanical properties of a foam just by the name of it. Um, and then the other the other point, the other thing that can further modify that, and you alluded to this earlier, is this concept of quote unquote supercritical fluids. Yeah. And this is important because this is this is probably one of the big things that is you're seeing most companies now using this because it is it is the way that you can kind of transform the properties of lesser foams. <laughs> um, but so what it is, is I referred to earlier, you use a blowing agent to get to turn this kind of like, you know, chemical soup into a foam and set it into a foam. And so a supercritical fluid is one that is, you know, you operate in uh, a, at a certain temperature and pressure where it is what we call it's no longer a liquid or a gas. It's a quote unquote supercritical fluid. And so the ones that you use most commonly that you can do that with are carbon dioxide and nitrogen, nitrogen. And so both of these carbon dioxide is a gas and, and, and nitrogen is a gas, but at, you know, at certain temperatures and pressures, those can be liquids. Um, but because, because of their, um, chemical properties, it's relatively easy to get them into this kind of like magical supercritical state, um, where they have, um, I'm going to get this wrong and, and we can have, we can have polymer chemists come on to, to correct me on this, but, <laughs> but, uh, we'd, we'd take them if they came. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so when they're, when, when you introduce it into the foam in this state, and then you, you know, whether it's drop the temperature, or drop the pressure, you can then allow it to, to move into that gaseous state and you can really alter the, the chemical properties of that foam. Uh, in a in a different way than just using kind of a conventional gas in there. So it really is a way to get more um, defined, I would say, like molecular architecture to that foam. Um, because one of the interesting things with these with these um, uh, with these foams is like, especially EVA, on a molecular level, they're really pretty sloppy. Um, like they're not, uh, they're not uniform. Cause again, you're just mixing these two very kind of crude chemicals together. Um, and so when you have highly ordered chemical structures or like, I would say not very ordered chemical structures, um, you get, you, you don't have as, um, say you don't have as you, the, the properties are maybe not, not as, as favorable. Yeah. Um, and so that's where like the, the PBOC comes in or, or some of these other next generation polymers is they're, they're much more structured. So by having that polyether block amide chemical structure, those blocks are, have very ordered ways that they fit together. And so you can get this very predictable, very, um, well, you know, <laughs> molecularly constructed, you know, architecture, whereas like EVA, it'd be akin to like not even having those connectors, you know, not squares. It'd just be like little Lego cubes that you kind of like, I don't know, like glue together or something. Um, but so anyway, so, so the, by using the supercritical fluids, you can do, you can do two big things that, that come into the foams that change them to be more favorable, similar to like the PIBA. One, you can make them much less dense. So you can make them a lot lighter. 
Um, so that's the first thing is you can essentially introduce a lot more gas and make it much more and make it as stable. Um, so you can make it lighter, which is more favorable, but by making it lighter, you can also make it softer. So it's a way to make the EVA or even, you know, TPU or something even softer and squishier. Um, and then this is something that I don't know. Um, but I would hypothesize might be an element is there, I, I could also see a case of maybe if that blowing agent changes the chemical structure, maybe for a bit, it could be a little bit more resilient. I don't know. Um, I haven't, I've only tested in our lab, like I think two, and I don't have all the results from one of them yet, or maybe three of, um, like super critical foams. And one of them was not substantially different on the energy return. Um, but then, uh, then the non super critical version of it. Um, but anyways, the, uh, yeah. So, so anyways, you can change the properties favorably. And what's interesting is those two common supercritical fluids, nitrogen versus carbon dioxide, um, those have their own like, uh, interesting properties, the way that they affect the shoes. And I think, uh, generally speaking, carbon dioxide in lots of industrial app applications is widely used as a supercritical fluid because it's, it's more easy, it's more easy to handle. Um, it can get in that state, I think in, it's more in that state and it's easier to get it in the different um, like thermodynamic conditions. So it's more widely used. And so I think, but the problem is, is I think with shoes, um, it is, it's a little bit cheaper to do because it's again, more ubiquitous. Um, but I don't think it, it creates as favorable properties as doing it with nitrogen. Um, and I talked to a, um, somebody who worked in one of the major shoe companies and was saying like nitrogen is generally um, like one of the things that affects is the longevity of those properties and like how the shoe holds up. Um, and nitrogen is a lot more expensive to work with um, generally, but, but is more favorable, especially in the longevity of the properties of it. And I think one of the ways that you can look at that is like maybe some of your some of you guys remember the first iteration of the Brooks Hyperion, which like famously just went out the window after like two runs, maybe one run. <laughs> they said like 30 to, they even said 30 to yeah. 50 miles, right? Yeah. They were like, and, and so I think that's an example of like taking this kind of like, a, like a, maybe a not great foam and introducing this thing that gives it these really favorable properties. But it's, it's like, you can't overcome some of the fundamental um, attributes of it. You know, it's like, <laughs> I had this, I, I worked for general motors in Poland for a little bit. And I had this, my boss there was like the most, um, uh, he was, he was, he was a straight shooter, but he had lots of like awesome injections of wisdom. There's this thing he always said was, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. <laughs> and so, so like, I think of that as kind of like maybe some iterations of, you know, super critical EVAs are like lipstick on a pig. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I know you wanted to talk about, um, testing a little bit, but before we do that, even what you have talked about a couple terms, you talked about stiffness, you talked about resilience is, re is resilience differentiated from another term you just use is longevity just because it's resilient doesn't mean it'll last a long time, right? Those are different 
Very different things. Very different. Very different. Yep. Just to clarify yep. that. Because yeah. I think Brazilians so, could sound like a durability thing, yeah. but that's not what it is. Great. Yeah. So let's use durability then. So the, the properties that we would think about would be stiffness and resilience of the, you know, essentially of the foam. So stiffness being the essentially the inverse of the softness, resilience being how much energy it returns or how much energy is lost. Um, and then durability being how well those two properties hold up over time. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And so that's, that's the dominant thing that you then think about with these foams. And so getting back to maybe really tying all that together. So Piba, you know, Piba was this new foam, but what's interesting is like the other foams that you're, you're seeing, you know, come out is like a lot of them we might, we're, unfortunately we're not, we're not getting what they are. (laughs) Um, some of the companies will say what they are. Some won't many won't. Um, but like, for example, like the new Asics shoe that's out, I don't know exactly what foam it is, but I've heard, I think I heard somewhere and I, 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 I gotta find this reference, but I think it was one of the initial press releases that Asics might've had said it was a nylon. Yep. Yes, material. it is. They said to yeah. us. Yep. And, and do you know what nylon is? I do nylon not. is a polyamide. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so like a polyether block amide, has nylon in it and like so it's essentially a foamed polyamide so it probably has very similar properties to a piba and that is playing out i'm currently working through an analysis on these and it is and you know dustin's study also showed that it was you know one of the better performing ones but you put it on and it feels similar to the you know a piba foam and so that's what like yeah nylon is just part of that um it is that chemical that's in, it's the polyamide. So, so yeah, so we think about that. It's like disentangling these is, is there's a lot of overlap, but it's also gets back to this idea that these are just, you know, molecular constituents that also have a a substantial bearing on, um, you know, how they're turned into a foam. Um, And so anyways, so the thing that we're then left with is what are their properties? So what are those, you know, those fundamental mechanical properties. And that's something that, you know, I've, um, a, it's some ongoing research that I'm doing right now, but also, um, uh, yeah, uh, something that I think is, I wish was, was like, um, something that is wi- like widely published on shoes. Like there's the more that I've done this, the more that I've thought is something that's like, I need to have, and it's bummer because now that I'm not at Michigan anymore, I don't have the testing machine that used to do this. But I'm like, I want to create a database of just running shoes and the the foam properties of them. Like this is something. And the sad thing is like Runner's World actually does this like in their shoe testing lab, but I, they don't publish the results because like, I don't know if it's partially because of, you know, having ties to, you know, the shoe companies like largely are you know, drivers of revenue. Um, but Really quick, quick comment on that. I I have a friend of mine who does that professionally testing a lot of the stuff for the companies and they cannot publish it because these these mechanical properties are proprietary information. So if the company doesn't want to share it, neither can you if you're doing that testing. So if if you're working for them. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, wait for later this year and and I will hopefully have a paper out. Sweet. We'll look forward (laughs) to it. yeah. Anyways, we could. We'd love to be an outlet for your future endeavors. Yes. Yeah, so let's know. Yeah, yeah. Out on our um, site, like we can yeah. just have a resource up for people. 
um, um, absolutely. if you want to work on that. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so how you test these foams, um, you know, it's funny, one of the things that persisted for so long as the like number one thing that was the property that shoes are reported on is their durometer. And I'm sure you guys have heard this. And durometer is a, that's, that's measures the hardness of a, of a material and hardness versus stiffness is like, these are two properties that are say tightly correlated, but not the same. And so for a long time, shoes are just reported and even companies still like use durometer as kind of the bearing. And what a durometer is, is the resistance of a material to indentation. Um, or the hardness is resistance to indentation. So a durometer, the way that you would measure that in a shoe is like the things that you do this are, they're literally like almost look like, like gauges, like they're like hand gauges, like a dial. And you just put it on the surface of the shoe and it gives you this number. And they're different, different durometers have different scales and like sizes of the indentation. And so it's really, it's, it's, it's a somewhat, um, there's not a ton of external validity to it in the sense that the durometer value is really contingent on the setup. Like again, the, the type of indentation it's doing and the, the scale. And so the shoes I think are usually asker C durometers, which you could Google an asker C durometer. If you really want one, you could buy one and do it on your own shoes. Um, but I, I always kind of like rejected, I, I, I it left me scratching my head. Cause I'm like, that's, easy because it tells you like on the surface what how it is but it doesn't tell you how the foam is functioning um in the system of the shoe because like all the links that you yeah, talked about yeah but also like you know like when you compress a shoe like there again there are just so many more um uh that it's just not at all representative i think of how you are loading the shoe but also is not a generalizable material property in the sense of like the that is contingent entirely on that type of durometer testing you're doing whereas if you measure the stiffness of the foam that should be true no matter what load that you put on it no matter what pressure you put on it no matter what you know loading rate you put on it if it's a elastic material if it's a linearly elastic material which these foams are to a certain degree um it should, that should be a generalizable concept. So I'm like, why don't we use this? And one of the reasons is it's tough to do that to test the stiffness of a shoe foam. A durometer is nice because it's this little handheld device you can put on it. And it's like cheap and easy. But so to do materials testing, to measure the energy return and the stiffness of any material, but say the running shoe foam, you need a materials testing machine. And they're usually we would call servo hydraulic machines and they are, um, they're beautiful in their simplicity, but incredibly complex. Like, so what they do, um, broadly speaking is just load, load something in a, usually what we'd call uniaxial loading, which is just up and down. So you can think of these machines are giant pistons that have a load cell on the bottom that senses how much load is being put into the surface. And then it has a very accurate, um, call a uh, displacement measure. You're usually what we would call a linear variable displacement transducer, I think LVDT. Um, but anyway, so it's this highly accurate way of measuring how much load something, you know, essentially a scale on the bottom, a force cell, load cell. 
um, and then a piston going up and down to measure the exact displacement. And so these are, it's so simple. It's just this piston going up and down, measuring the force and the displacement. But these things are going to cost you probably, you know, six figures a lot of times. And they're like the one that, you know, in our lab is like it spans two rooms because it's like the whole testing frame. And then it goes next door into the whole hydraulic system because these things are, again, like, you know, this is for me when I'm testing shoes, I want to simulate a foot strike. So I need it to deliver the load of a human over fractions of a second and do it over and over and over. So that's essentially like this gunshot, but it has to be this gunshot that's like highly controlled. And so it's this very simple movement that's just thump, 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 thump on the shoe, but very tightly controlled. Um, yeah. So anyway, so you need one of these machines. <laughs> and so it's a little bit tougher. And I think you know, what's crazy is, is like, it's, I mean, like most, I would say a lot of the shoe companies probably have these, but some of them don't even have these in their testing labs, which is just like crazy. Um, but so, so anyways, this is this simple piece of equipment, albeit like a somewhat dangerous and expensive piece of machinery, um, can be used to get these properties of the foams. And so what you do is, is like I said, you, you set it up where you just have this piston compressing the foam and telling you how much, you know, say I want to load it to a thousand newtons or 2000 newtons, you know, which is what a, a human body where you a t a runner might typically put on it. So it, it loads the loads, the shoe to 2000 newtons and then pulls it back off and you tune it, you know, through different, um, yeah, different, different ways you kind of tune the electronics on it to do it in the right time course. So if you want to do it in, you know, 150 milliseconds or 200 milliseconds, like a foot strike, um, you do that. And from that, you can get the properties of, again, the stiffness of that foam and the, um, yeah. And the, and the energy return. And, and, uh, I have, um, there was an article that I, I just, you know, this is like the first vapor fly study, um, that came out of the university of Colorado. They have a really nice, there's a really nice graphic in there that shows what one of these graphs looks like that comes out of these, that, um, you know, through these three different, the three different shoes of the different types of foams. Um, so your listeners, if they want to see that can go check it out. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have already read that paper. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so that's, that's how we test the shoes and test the foams. And this is something I've done in, again, you know, I've done in my lab and, and I had a lot of experience, uh, I alluded to, you know, breaking bones and ripping tendons. So years ago, I was actually using these exact same machines to test these like biological materials. And so now it's pretty cool. This, like the last year or two going back into the lab that I used to work in and like, you know, like, yes, now I don't have to put on all, well, I was going to say now I don't have to put on the PPE, but I still had to like wear masks and stuff because of <laughs> pandemic. Right. But like, it's like, this is so great. I don't have to worry about like getting blood and like biological fluid or stuff. This is just shoes. It's easy. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's been cool to, to work through in these different, you know, these different foams have very different properties and getting back to that idea of even the same broad types of chemicals are very different. So like Saucony, has a PIBA shoe, um, which, you know, kudos to them for being one of the first ones to get on that. Um, but the PIBA foam in there has different properties than the Vaporfly, which is a PIBA foam. Whereas, you know, and what's really interesting is they both have very similar energy return. 
Um, they're both, you know, I've measured both of them right around 85, 86%. But the Vaporfly is much softer. It's much more compliant. It has a lower stiffness. Um, so I measure that typically at around 40 kilonewtons per meter. And the Saucony shoe have had it like 70 to 80, so almost twice as stiff. Um, you can feel that for sure. Yeah, you can definitely exactly. Feel that. And, and, and what's running. interesting is Saucony has a different um, approach to foaming that PIBA, that chemical, where it's it's similar to what Boost was, where we call it like expanding it in the pellets. Yeah. Um, and so they put it into pellets and then compress it down into a shoe. So it gives it slightly different properties. Um, and and then the same thing with like a lot of the different companies now have have these different, you know, you say like supercritical foams that might have very similar chemical constituents, um, but just the way that they're manufactured, you know, comes out being quite dis- quite distinct. So, yeah, so it's where where I think for a long time I I was I would say early on I was very much like, man, we just need the the chemical names of these foams and that would just make everything so much easier. I still want that. That would still be very important. Like I wish we had details on it. But now I've also through going through this like, you know, have have seen and and hopefully that's what like the, you know, our research and stuff will 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 show and highlight as well is like, it's like, yeah, this is also, you know, it, it differs even within the, the same chemicals. And it's like, we really just need, we need a consumer reports for running shoes um, to tell us (laughs) the the properties of these foams. And then we didn't even get into the other, the other concepts of the other ways that these are the durability of them, like how those properties hold up over time. And then also the, the, the other really big thing that's interesting is the um, thermosensitivity of how they hold up under different temperatures, because those are two <laughs> enormous things. So I'll say a few things to those points. Cool. Um, I was going to ask, can we get like a cliff notes? Cause we oh, can't dive all the way in, but yeah, um, I'll try and keep it somewhere between cliff notes and novella. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, hey, we but, got time. Yeah, Whatever you give um, us, we're good. So, so the, um, the durability is a really interesting question on this because one EVA is not great for that. It is that concept of, you know, like I always loved like 300 to 500 miles. It's like, it's like, that sounds, that's sounds fun to say. That's easy to say. Like I, cause I can't tell you how many times I told that to somebody when I worked in a running, when I worked in the running store, like, you know, thousands of people would come through and that's just the answer. I get 300, 300, 500 miles. And it's like, it's so it's it's just ridiculous to think about that now that I look think back and I'm like that's like those are two very different numbers <laughs> like <laughs> um, like if we're operating on a logarithmic scale they're pretty similar <laughs> but, but like, like three three hundred and five hundred are very different realities yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah so but the but what's interesting is those properties change. I would say like for most, even say the way that you, the, every, everybody is going to load a shoe differently. Um, and then the way that you load them, the way that you use them might even have bearings on that longevity, um, the way that you stress and, you know, that foam. But so broadly speaking, EVA was not good for durability. Um, I mean, it was good in the sense of like, 300 to 500 miles. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would say it, it doesn't, it, it does start to decay. Um, like if you were to, 
simulate that 300 to 500 miles in a very controlled test environment, it starts to decay after what the 100 would be simulated and goes down to, um, you know, 300. It's like noticeably falling off and 500 more. And there are like a handful of studies that have done this. And that's where those numbers come from. Um, but the way that we load them in the wild is so much different than that. But also like that idea of how much those properties decaying over that time, like how much of that matters? And is there at some point, is there something that it, that becomes like, I don't know, somewhat catastrophic. The other interesting thing that, that I'm very curious about on, this is one of the things that I, I'm sad that I kind of left. This is, this is a line of research that I would have done if I had kind of stayed in an academic realm, but the way that we regionally load our shoes. So like you can think of our shoe we, we stress different regions of that foam very differently. Um, and so I suspect that that is where different levels of breakdown happen. But so anyways, so these properties, you know, how that softness and resilience holds up, um, it breaks down a bit in EVA and it's somewhat gradual, I would say, um, in the sense of, you know, it, it's somewhat stable for for very early on in the loading. So if we want to throw a number like you know, hundred miles or so, but then it does start to decay a bit. Um, and then that rate of decay is, you know, different for every person and, and the time scale is different. The, the TPU, that was one of the shocking things about that foam is, is it did not decay like EVA. It held up its properties really, really well. I actually had a, a teammate in college, um, this kid from New Zealand, uh, uh, Brendan Blacklaws. I hope he's listening. He's an awesome, awesome dude. He took a pair of boosts and he, he would run them until they were, until they were like wear through the foam. Like he put <laughs> thousands of miles on them. Um, it was crazy. And I mean, I, I'm somebody who, once I started to kind of like get in tune with this, I would be ditching EVA shoes after probably three to 400 miles. 400 was the upper limit for me. And um, but a lot of them, especially lighter weight, like racing ones would be gone maybe even before 300. Um, I remember that I, I didn't really do much running and boost, but Saucony had a TPU shoe, um, for, or, you know, a lot of shoes that were made with that same expanded TPU. Um, and I, I put like six or 700 miles on a pair of those and get rid of them just out of like, this is still good, but I don't want, I don't want to have like. I just up some like, or something. I, I don't know. Like I, I, there's no reason <laughs> rationally for me to not get rid of these, but I feel like I've just violated something here. Um, but yeah, so that holds up really, really well. And part of it is just that chemical, that more ordered, um, more robust chemical structure, um, is, is more stable and more durable. Um, now what's crazy is that the PIVA foams, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people said early on about the Vaporfly was like, oh, like you got to use it sparingly because it doesn't last very long, you know? And I was always curious about this because I'm like, well, that's a, it's a favorable chemical composition. Um, and we've actually, another study that this probably will never get published, but we just did it for fun. We had, um, one of the things, this, the orthopedic research lab that I used to work in, one of the things they were famous for at Michigan is like they do, um, nano CT imaging of bones and like, so like the micro architecture of bones. And so, um, one of the researchers in that lab was a, you know, 
collaborator and friend of mine. So similar, he's a running geek. Um, we we did we took the nano CT and put shoe foams in them, um, and looked at the <laughs> micro architecture of the foams, and the the Piba is crazy how like just perfectly like ordered it is. Um, whereas like the the boost foam and the expanded TPUs are really funny because they're like within these even within the pellets, um, there's like enormous variability of of the way it's ordered and and i mean you can see that i think i could see why that would might be more robust and and you know i don't know more stable but certainly heavier and more dense but anyways the people it's just so highly ordered um but so anyways i i thought i'm like well you know this is this chemical compound you know like the 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 block amides um like these like this is this should be like you know pretty strong and sturdy um and so sure enough, I, I've tested on that, you know, that materials testing machine I was talking about. I've done these compliance and resilience tests on vapor flies that I put over 300 miles on. Um, and the, it's insane how well they hold up. Like it was wow. still, the, the resilience on them was still, you know, 84%, which was wow. like crazy. Um, the compliance was very similar. They, and really the, the way that for me, they weren't runnable anymore because I had ripped up the outsoles. So they were really, I, I, I tell people now those shoes are limited, not by By the the foam foam properties, but really by the, um, the mechanical like exterior, um, the, the, the structural integrity of, of them. So, you know, I think, I think Dustin, Dustin did a case study with his alpha flies to yeah. where he did it. I forget. It was at 420 kilometers he had put yeah. on the shoe. Yep. Um, and I know he's going to keep adding more, so it'll be, yeah. and that's a case study. So yeah, the economy but wasn't but, that, but it, that sounds, con- that was impressive. Yeah. It sounds consistent like with what you're seeing. So, yeah. And, and it's, it's, so it's, so I think the the new foams, that's one of the things that's very exciting for me with those is like, they hold up better than EVA, which is great. Um, and then finally that last question of, of temperature, yeah, this is another thing that talks about you know, lipstick on a pig. EVA is a disaster <laughs> in, in, in across temperature ranges. Um, when it gets cold, that compliance, like the stiffness of it, it goes through the roof. It gets so stiff when it's cold. Hmm. Um, and then that, I think that, uh, I don't actually know what happens to the resilience, but if you have an extremely stiff shoe, um, it doesn't, doesn't even really, really matter. matter what the resilience is because you're not putting much energy into it anyways. Um, if a shoe, if a shoe gets really cold, but then mm-hmm. you bring it inside and it warms up, does it return to its previous properties or do yes. you lose some? Okay. Yeah. I was curious about that because I get I, them delivered outside in Wisconsin and yeah, you know, it's like negative 20 it. and I take it out and it's a brick. It's literally like it. a brick. I, I, and I'm like, I'm, do I get I'm, the shoe back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm like, I want to be there when they deliver these. Cause like, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to exposed to the elements for that long. <laughs> like, but I think. Um, rational, this is, that's like an irrationality. I think rationally speaking, it, it, that being said though, I don't know, you know, and I don't think this has been done. This was like another study that I really wanted to do was like, was like, was that, that like temperature cycling? Like what happens if we make this cold, use it and then bring it back? Is there, is there some loss there? And one of the things, one of the big things that happens with EVA is the gas loss in the actual foam. Um, so I could see, I, I don't have a good answer for that, but I could see a case where it does, I mean, broadly speaking, it does recover properties, but, but does it completely Fully. recover her properties? I don't know. I, I, I'm with you where I'm like, 
neurotic about <laughs> like <laughs> the condition which with with which we treat our our footwear. Um, but I yeah, text Jana. I, Jana, shoes getting delivered today. Yeah. Can you check? You know. But I do think that they like they lose like if if worn over time in the cold. Like I I get less life out of my shoes in the winter for sure. Um, or my old you know back winters. EVA shoes. Um, so I, I've long suspected that they wear out faster, but maybe that's back to like stiffening up. You, 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 I don't know, regionally load the shoe differently or something. I don't know. But anyways, so, so temperature stability, um, EVA, not good. Um, but the TPUs were really good. And I think, um, that's the other thing with, with the, the new generation of the other, these other chemical compounds, um, that are more, more ordered, more ordered, uh, predictable polymers. Um, yeah, they, they perform really well across temperatures. Now, the one thing that's interesting is carbon fiber. This is something to maybe pique the interest of listeners. I think carbon fiber is pretty stable across temperatures. It's, I mean, it's just stiff all the time. Um, at low temperatures, it does get a little bit stiffer, but not drastically, but some of the some of the other um, lesser fiberglasses, so carbon fiber is actually a type of fiberglass, but other ones that might be nylon, for example, um, those are more sensitive to temperature than than carbon fiber, especially if they're more compliant than carbon fiber. So, like some of those plates that are in shoes, like um, like maybe the Saucony ones, or or even like the Nike, is it the Zoom Fly has a has a fiberglass plate in it that's not that's not carbon fiber. Um, and the, the Saucony Endorphin those... Speed is the one that has the nylon plate in it. So, yeah. Okay. Call it, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, those might those might have a high degree of temperature sensitivity to them. Um, so that's something to keep in mind um, that I, I'm very curious about how that might affect um, people's interactions on in cold weather. But broadly speaking, the newer generation of shoes are more temperature stable. Um, now, that being said, it, I also, you know, leave that to to question two of some of the super critical shoes of like how that affects the durability of them. Um, I don't know. I think, like I said, there's some kind of early thoughts that it, that it compromises the durability, some of them. Um, but, uh, again, maybe some of the more advanced methods or once they kind of get it dialed, because again, it's not saying a super critical fluid. It, again, it's just a, a broad class of getting air into that foam and it can have, depending on how it's done, it can have any number. And this is something we didn't even touch on, but we don't even know some of these newer elastomers that are used like a PIBA. Um, those might have like, I'm, I, and I wouldn't be surprised like if the, the way that ZoomX is foamed is using a supercritical fluid, like the way that might be part of the way that they get it so light and so soft. Um, I don't know. I would, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so like, even if it's not advertised, like I think sometimes, you know, like companies want to advertise it just because it sounds cool, but some right. of them, that may be the default way that you get. So like, I, I don't know. I'm just, so I, I hope listeners don't take this as a gospel, but, um, but, but be thinking about it is like, you know, Nike or even Saucony who uses, you know, their, their, um, uh, Piba, those could have different, you know, different, whether super critical foam or blowing agents that are helping foam it or something, um, or ASICs could be doing that with, with whatever similar foam, um, and just not advertised. So 
it is one interesting one the one interesting one could be puma because they came out and they said we're a nitrogen infused piba foam and so that could be where they're going from that uh yeah and like i said and that again that could be everybody all pivas might be they might just be like marketing it you know um it sounded cool to us you know yeah exactly people who don't we don't even this stuff is all awesome to hear because it's not our area you should say like oh that's interesting what's the resiliency of that yes and then they'd be like crickets well they're not gonna (laughs) tell you i mean No, I was going to say, if it's an, if it's a PIBA, it's probably going to be a quite a high resilience. So they'd be happy to tell you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but yeah, but I think it, it also like asking that question, I would just, I would love if that just became like standard of like, oh, cool. What's the resilience? What's the compliance? <laughs> like those two things, like, I don't care. I don't care about the durometer. Like, tell me about, tell me compliance and resilience. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, well, Jeff, uh, it's been a, a privilege to have you on Dr. Jeff Burns. It brings, I think this perfect, you know, mesh of running experience, run work experience, engineering, biomechanics, shoe geekism. You kind of bring the whole gamut of everything. And so it makes talking to you a lot of fun and we probably could go on for another hour. Uh, and just, this has been fantastic. So thanks for giving us your time. I think one of the biggest kind of kind of mind-blowing moments for me was just thinking of TPE as this umbrella that gets thrown out as almost a facade potentially for just another EVA, but you can call anything a TPE. So uh, just a lot of great things in here and and things that I think will influence how we review and think about shoes and the questions we ask. And we're in communication with companies all the time. And so talking to them about these things will be super valuable to us. And I'm sure everyone that got to listen. So thanks again for coming on the coming on the show. My pleasure. And thanks for, yeah, thanks for bringing me on and thanks for getting this out. And I think bringing, certainly bringing more, yeah, more objectivity to how we talk about shoes is, is I think critical. Cause like the way that getting back to that idea of like these shoes being so individualized, I think the only way that we can, to, to Matt's point about studying yourself and learning yourself the only way that you can really dial that is if you know if you have objective data on the thing you're trying to dial to yourself so it's like if we can be concrete about these things then we can kind of better prescribe them for different people and learn how that affects so yeah so love that you guys are are doing this and i really appreciate you having me on this was total blast and that wraps up our interview with dr jeff burns we are so privileged to have him on this podcast and it was really a joy to hear his perspective on biomechanics and about the foams that we're putting underneath our feet and what questions we really should be asking it was really nice to go into the weeds with you all a little bit about the material science behind these things so if you have further questions on this topic please reach out to us doctors of running podcast at gmail.com we would be able to get to your questions as quickly as we can with whether through this podcast or through emailing you back. As always, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can check out our YouTube channel and subscribe there. If you can take a couple seconds and leave us a review on the platform that you're listening to this podcast, that also helps us grow a ton. And we appreciate everyone that's come on this journey with us so far, and we'll talk to you next time. 